Good morning. All right. Man, packed house today. So we have a joke, long-standing joke. People, for some reason, come when I'm preaching. But then the next week, they don't come back. So hopefully you guys can make me feel better and come back next week so I don't feel like I scared you guys off. Man, what a weekend here at the uh, Mountain Church. Uh, Yesterday, a lot of the women from the Mountain Church went to a walk. Um, And hopefully you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. It was a walk for awareness for sex trafficking, right? So that was really cool to see uh, the women of the Mountain Church get out there and and uh, united and, and out for a good cause uh, up on Pack Highway and Federal Way. Um, just bringing awareness out there in brightly colored shirts. Uh, yeah, so exciting for that. Uh, we also had the men's retreat here yesterday and Friday night. Um, we did a lot of uh, menly things like Nerf Wars, and, uh, which were awesome. I'm just, don't knock it till you tried it, please. Uh, Nerf Wars, uh, eating a lot of meat, and... Uh, playing some games. So had a really good time, uh, just a great time of getting to uh, know each other and just be around each other in fellowship and learn that uh, God can be praised in a lot of different ways. It doesn't have to look a certain way to see how God's grace uh, flows through everyone. So um, I can't remember if I said it already, but my name is William. I'm one of the elders here, and uh, it's my privilege today to speak out of God's word. So as many of you guys know, we've been starting a study through the book of Galatians. So we're going to do a little recap first. So the book of Galatians, right? We started in chapter one. The first message that we heard was Paul starts his entire letter off with speaking the gospel to people, right? He just, he lays the foundation. Here's what the gospel is, right? His greeting is just that. He doesn't doesn't really go into his pleasantries. He doesn't do anything. He says, here's what the gospel is. And he lays the foundation so that we understand it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, right? That's what we've been studying. It's that idea when we study through the book of Galatians is how we are supposed to start seeing it's the filter that goes through the whole rest of the book. Then what we see is we see that then Paul jumps in after his, his uh, talk on what the uh, gospel is. He jumps into this next piece where he just gets right after him. I'm astonished how quickly you guys are forgetting the gospel. You guys are leaving it, and I cannot believe that. And I think what's crazy about that is he's astonished how quickly, and this book could have been written up to two years after he was, he, like this whole thing was happening. So for him to be astonished, even after that long, like, it's interesting in our day and age where things change from day to day, Paul's astonished that they could change after anywhere from six months to two years, right? The weightiness of the gospel and how it should shape us. We see Paul's passion for that. And then he goes in, he builds this case. He says, here's what you guys are doing. Now the next piece is he essentially starts building himself as a credible source, right? Right? We learned uh, from Nathan's passage when he spoke that Paul received this revelation from Christ himself, right? He was not taught by man. He was taught by Jesus. And we see that he has authority in that, right? He makes sure he shows. I went to these places by myself. I only spent 14 days with Peter and the other apostles so that that way people know I have authority, Right? That's Paul's whole basis there, right? He starts setting that up. 
Then the next piece that we go through in, uh, in the book of Galatians is what he builds on next, right? We need to preserve the gospel. That's what Daniel spoke on last week. The gospel, we need to stand firm on it. We need to preserve it. How do we preserve it? Through studying it, but not just studying it and internalizing it, but it's also to take the gospel and push it out to the people around us so that people can hear the gospel, people can see the gospel, so that way it is passed on through generations. That's how we preserve the gospel and adhering to what it says, right? And at the very end, we see how the, the apostles send him out and they tell him one more thing, remember? Remember the poor, and he was excited, right? That's the very thing I was eager to do. So now we have this really big basis, right? Paul is like setting up. We talked about at the beginning of Galatians. This is like a court case almost. Paul is really setting up like this thing. And the rest of the book is going to be all of his like evidence. And he's going to show you how grace is the only thing that saves, right? Not through our own works, not through religious acts, by grace alone. But what's interesting is we have this little piece that's sandwiched in between of that, or in between some of that stuff, right? And that's what we're going to do today. So let's go ahead and open our, book, or our Bibles up to Galatians 2.11. So as we've been studying through Galatians, we've been trying to answer five questions, right? And what's awesome is that Nathan and Daniel have done a great job going through those five questions, right? Explaining those things. Now you're going to get the guy who'd never got the Bible school degree teaching you guys, okay? So this is going to look a little bit more messy, but hopefully you guys are encouraged by the messiness that I have because I'm sure a lot of you guys are in the same boat as me, did not graduate Bible school, did not get that training in that way. Maybe even went public school education the whole way, right? Yeah, okay. So about the false gospel, we know it, right? So so here we go. What we're going to do is we first want to jump into our first question. We're just going to dive straight into it, right? And our first question is, what does the text say? So what we're going to do is we're just going to look at it, and we're just going to kind of break it down and make sure we understand clearly what it's saying before uh, anything else, right? So when we first go in here, uh, verse 11, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Now, I think it's really easy for us to read this passage, and I'm just going to stop us in this verse right here, and just glance over some of these things. But I want us to stop right here, and I want us to understand that this word condemned is a pretty heavy word, right? He was stopping Peter, and he was just saying, right away, he said, just so you guys understand, Peter was condemned in what he was doing. He was in opposition to God and Jesus, right? He is living out of accord to what the gospel preaches. And I think it's really interesting because this goes back to what we read in earlier in Galatians, right? When he talks about he's astonished how quickly they are to drift from the gospel. And at the very end of that passage, what does he start to say? If I or an angel come down and preach a gospel that is contrary to the one that we taught to you first, let him be what? A curse. And so what is Paul doing right here? He's saying, just so you know, I said this earlier, and this is the start of an example that says, I mean what I say. We're going to follow through on this. If we're preaching a false gospel, we're going to call it for what it is. It's a false gospel. And when I say, let them be accursed, Peter stood condemned 
for what he was doing. And I think there's a weightiness that we have to take with that. And he says, before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But then, or when he came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Now, we're not going to dive too much into who the circumcision party was, who these certain men from James are, because really there's no, like, there's no uh, set answer to who they think they are. Like, we, I could tell you guys, like, the five different uh, ones that they think they are. But the biggest thing that we understand here is that when these guys came in, they had some sort of influence. They claimed to be from James, which we know was heading the church up in, in Jerusalem, right? The Christian church in Jerusalem. So they claimed to be from there. And the very thing, as soon as they came in, what, did, what does it say that Peter drew? He, he, or did he drew back, right? And I think it's really interesting for us to understand here is that when it says he drew back, it's like this really uh, interesting way of like, all I can picture is like when somebody like enters a room and they're not supposed to be there. Have you guys ever seen somebody do that? And they go like this, right? They like creep back and like, whoops. You know, I have middle schoolers do that all the time, right? They run into the wrong period and then they just back out nice. That's essentially what Peter was doing here. It wasn't like, oh, this is wrong. Okay, I'm going to run back over here. He kind of slightly just kind of drifted back because it says that he feared them, right? So he feared them. Why did he fear them? Well, we know that Peter probably just got out of prison. He had, spent, he had done some time for his belief in Christ. And so was he eager to do that again? Doesn't seem like it, <laughs> right? So he had a little fear of these people. Why? What were they going to do to him? We don't know. But he had fear. And he separated himself from the rest of the, the Christians that were there. And it says, The rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Real quick, the word hypocrisy. We all know it, right? Say one thing, do another, right? Okay. For the, the church reading this, when we read the word hypocrisy, we would actually like, need to interpret this as like wickedly. They were, they, there was a wicked aspect to it, and that the equation to this, like in the Jewish context, they would have actually read this as heresy. So it's not just like this light kind of like, well, he said one thing, did another, like, that's okay, you know, we're all sinners, we all live hypocritically. Like this was like a big deal to them. When he said you lived hypocritically, he was saying you were essentially a heretic. Because of the way he was presenting the gospel. And we learned a little bit more about that. Right? He says, but when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you though a Jew live like a Gentile and not a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? A couple things to point out there. Right? So, we see, Paul tells Peter, or Cephas, right? <clears throat> if you a Jew, because he's calling him what he is, right? You're, you were raised Jewish. You live like a Gentile. We know that Peter had been living like a Gentile. His time with Cornelius, right? Jesus gave him the dream where the sheet was lifted and hunt and kill and do all that kind of stuff, right? So, all that stuff was gone from him. He was living like a Gentile. He was doing the things that the Gentiles were doing, it was okay because they were, po they were focusing on Jesus. That's all that mattered. The Jewish traditions, laws didn't matter to him anymore, right? He was out there living like a Gentile. But then when these men came in, I think it's really interesting for us to understand 
that Peter did not just fall in line with these guys and just kind of like sit in the background and say, well, if they're going to lead, like I'm just going to kind of stay back here so I don't, you know, ruffle any feathers. The word that it uses there is what does he say for him? It says that if though you a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force? Peter was pushing this agenda on the Gentile believers in this area. Now, what are we talking about? Well, we're talking about a lot of it had to do with eating, right? And the one thing I want us to understand is that when we talk about the eating here, the focus was not on the food laws, okay? What Paul was getting at was the fellowship of the believers. Because what it was was that they said, if you were, if you were Jewish, you could not eat with somebody who was a Gentile, Okay? And that went beyond just the food laws and the ceremonial washings and all that kind of stuff. That just went with fellowship. Eating with somebody, breaking bread with them, having a meal was a big deal in this culture. Right? That's, what, that's what we're looking at here. That was a huge deal. So for them to separate out because of that was going backwards from what the gospel t- taught. Right? So then Peter comes along and he starts forcing that. Let's start separating these again. Right? And it's all about the fellowship piece that... that that Paul is worried about, okay? Not the food laws, the fellowship. How are we spending our time together as a unified body in Christ? There is neither Jew nor Gentile, right? Okay. So do we have an understanding of what's being said in this text? Yes, at least to a basic level. Okay, where we're at? All right. I've told this congregation before, but I'll say it again. I'm an affirmation kind of person, and affirmation doesn't always have to be good. If it's yes, tell me yes. If it's no, tell me no, okay? So that way I can stop and back up. We're teaching here, right? I'm not up here with an agenda. I want to make sure we understand what we're learning. All right. So what does this text mean? Now, this is where I'm struggling. Because to me, this question and the fourth question, I don't know if you guys have been using this tool, a lot of times tend to blend together, right? What does this text mean, and how is Jesus the hero? Well, in this one, it really kind of points to like a central theme, right? What does this text mean to us, right? So here's what it means. The reason I believe that Paul put this in here was he was continuing to establish his authority, right, as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And he wanted to show that he had the spirit moving within him, and he was willing to put everything aside to make sure that the gospel was preserved, right? We just came out of this passage, right, where it says, make sure we're preserving the gospel. And so then Paul is giving us an account. Let me show you that I'm actually doing what I say I'm doing, right? And he goes through this, and he, I think there's some important pieces that we can think about when, when we talk about this, that he says um, earlier that he perceived Peter as one of the pillars of the church, correct? So he had a lot of respect for Peter. But the thing that he's showing us here is that what? He had more fear and respect of the gospel than he did Peter. He wanted to preserve the gospel so much that he was willing to stand up in a room. Now, I want us to understand too, because it's really easy for us to think, yeah, Peter was scared, right, of what was happening. Paul was in the exact same place in the exact same time preaching the exact same message of the gospel. Don't you think he had a little fear as well? Yeah. His gospel would have ticked them off as well, right? What he was preaching, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when Peter is standing here living like what we normally see Peter living like, correct? In fear, 
How many times have we seen that, right? They're just denying Christ three times. It's Peter's MO, right? I'm, a little, I'm kind of afraid of what the outcome of some of these situations are. But Paul gives us an example. Man, when you're standing on gospel truths, I got nothing to worry about. And what we see here is that Paul is giving us an example of what it looks like to stand for the gospel, unwavering. Even to his friend, right? I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to say they were friends. They might not have known each other pretty well, but, man, they sure love Jesus. And when two people love Jesus, there's a unity there, right? So I think it's great that that's, the text is showing us this, right? And it's showing us, like I said, again, going back to so the earlier statements, that Paul is going to live by his actions towards Jesus Christ. Now, this idea that he said, I don't care what people say. I don't care who they say they're from. I don't care what they're doing. If the gospel is contrary, like we said back in verse one, I'm gonna call it for what it is. And I think it's really interesting that he, uh, in that last one, he really like reverts back to saying, you've been living like this. You are an example as well. He's calling Peter back to a higher example, Right? He's not just saying that Peter was wrong, you're a bad dude, and you're done, right? He's trying to show him that you lived like a Gentile, even though you were a Jew. You get the gospel. You understand it. You're living out of step with it. Come back. And I think it's interesting for us to make sure we understand the tone in this passage. I think it's really easy. I want to read this as like an aggressive tone. Like, I really do. I want to be like, yeah, Paul was probably ticked off. This was probably a great scene in front of everybody, right? I know a lot of people in this day and age love their reality TV. Why? Because there's always drama, right? Think about what this looked like. But I think that there was a softer tone here. I think when we realized that Paul confronted him to his face, Paul was heartbroken. One of the men that he called the pillars of the church was condemned before God. And that broke him. And he wanted it to be right, right? He wanted to defend that. And I think that leads us into our third question that we are asking right here, right? Because it says, how do we naturally resist it? And what I'm going to say is, when we're talking about how do we naturally resist it, I want to think about how do we naturally resist what is happening in here, okay, in this story. Now, I'm going to try and explain something that's been rattling around in my head for the last week or so, and I'm going to hope that you guys can follow along with me. First and foremost, I think if we're all telling ourselves the truth, a lot of us want to believe that we are Paul in this story, correct? Oh, man, if I see something wrong, I'm calling it out, right? That's me. I like to stand by the truth, right? But I think a lot of us are a lot more like Peter in this story. And so we go, yeah, if I'm being honest, I'm more like Peter, and then what I think is actually even more so, I started thinking to myself, I said, I'm not actually even like Peter in this story. My natural resistance is to definitely not know the sin that I'm committing and definitely not have somebody call me out on that. I don't want to know it. Right? How do we naturally resist this? We don't want Paul's in our life. We don't. Right? 
I think this is why one of the most quoted verses that I hear people say, like a lot of times, it's just so funny to me because we cut it off. We say, hey, what did Jesus say, right? Paul called him out, like this is a little crazy because what did Jesus tell us? He said, hey, you know, make sure you, you hypocrites, right? Why are you looking at the speck in my eye when you got a plank in yours, right? You guys know that verse? You guys know what I'm talking about? Do you guys realize that that's not the whole verse? Because what does he actually say? So do what to the plank in your eye? Remove it so that you can what? See clearly to remove the speck in theirs. And I think this is our natural temptation is to fight this. In our culture, why do we not want to call somebody out on something? Because they'll do it back to us. So if I just remain quiet, I'm going to see that sin, but I'm just going to kind of drift over here. And I'm just going to allow that to be because then that way when I mess up, they're not going to say anything to me. We fight this so hard. This is the reason I say I don't think we're like Peter because everything really points to the fact that after this happened to Peter, guess what he did? He actually like dropped the whole fear act and he became the pillar and the foundation of the church that Jesus called him to be. I think we sometimes get so caught up in the speaking love and kindness and um, the, the whole, you know, speaking the truth in love that we forget the peace about love is making sure that we are walking in step with the gospel. That's love. Not being nice. Now, hopefully we understand that there was a way, like I said, when I read this, I want to read that like Paul was, he was heartbroken. And hopefully we're heartbroken for those around us, right? That we live in the same way Paul did, that when we see sin, we want to call it for what it is and we want to call people to be restored back to Christ. Not to break somebody down, but to build them up. And we know that the only way to build people up is through Christ. Right? Now let's go ahead and jump into four. How is Jesus the hero? And how did he accomplish or do the things that we naturally resist? So what do we do? Calling people back. Right? But the question becomes, how do we decide? Like, what are we doing? Like, I don't know if I'm loving this person. I don't know if I'm just doing it out of spite. I don't know if I've uh, got some sort of complex where I always want to be right. Those kind of things. So how is Jesus the hero in this? Well, we first look to the cross. Jesus died for us. His atoning blood paid the price for our sin that then the Holy Spirit could come dwell in us. Now, why is that important for us? Well, we know if we have the Holy Spirit living in us, the Holy Spirit wants nothing to do with sin. It wants nothing to do with sin. Why was Peter receptive to the words that Paul spoke to him? Because Peter understood two things. It was not Paul's personal agenda. It was the Holy Spirit working through Paul to point out Paul's 
misstep with the gospel, or excuse me, Peter's misstep with the gospel. And Peter had the Holy Spirit dwelling in him to see that if I'm living in accordance to the gospel, to God's will, that I'm going to hear that and I'm going to know it's true and I'm going to want to turn 100%, right? That repenting, the 180, right? Away from where we were to where we want to go, right? And we are going to flee from that. I don't care, right? Like I, I can imagine that at some point in time, Paul said, you know, hey, Hey, uh, Peter, just so you know, I'm going to write this letter to the Galatians, and I'm putting you out there, right? And, and, and Peter goes, yes, yeah, sounds great. Do it. Use me as an example. I'm cool with that. Because I was in misstep with the gospel, and like, this is what we want. Use me as an example, right? And so I, I with this, like this idea that we want to make sure that the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, that we are using that as a source to help us see the things in our lives that we can continue to purge, get rid of. But more importantly, focus more on Christ, right? Because at some point in time, like we said here, Peter or Paul's rebuke was not, hey, Peter, you need to change this, you need to change this. His was get back in step with the gospel. Everything else will fall in line if you get back in step with the gospel. Jesus' death on the cross opened that up, got rid of the, the old traditions, right? The sacrificial system, all of that stuff so that the Spirit was dwelling in us so that we then could live in step with the gospel. The law would want to be fulfilled in us because the Spirit loves all that is good. And all that is good is God and God alone. Right? So then the question becomes, I'm telling you guys, I hope, I think I'm breezing through this one because there's really not a lot here. It's pretty clear, right? So then the last question is, how do we live out of this, right? What do we do? Well, I think it's pretty clear. I think that a lot of what we have to do is rely on the Spirit. Jesus gave us, or told us, foretold the Holy Spirit coming and said it would be something greater than he, right? More useful to us than Jesus. In the sense that the Holy Spirit is with us every day. It's with us right now. It's with us. So then when we say, what does that mean when we're acted out? Well, what it means is that we are going to want to desire to live in step with God's word, with his commands, Right? Jesus was the fulfillment of the law, but it doesn't erase the things that God says are good, right? And the spirit, it wants to overflow. It wants to pour those things out of us. So our natural temptation is to fight against that, right? It's to not want those things. It's not to, to see what is good. And, and so when we surround ourselves with people, who are we surrounding ourselves with? Are we surrounding ourselves with a bunch of yes men that just tell us sounds good and we love you, give you a hug and shove you out the door? Are we surrounding ourselves with people who are so dedicated to this that they're willing to stand up in a fearful situation and claim that this is better and call you out on your sin. I don't want people in my life that just tell me the things I want to hear. Because I have to realize that my selfish desires will push me that way. 
Now, can I give you guys an example? Yeah? Okay. Share part of my, my story. So, high school, college, got married, these kind of, during this time, I was not in step with the gospel. I was not. I would be probably more under what Tim Keller would call the religious side of things, right? We have the irreligious, we have the religious, and we have the gospel, right? Peter, we know, was in that religious piece, right? Got to do certain things, got to live a certain way. That's what he was calling people back to. I feel I can, I, I can like, see myself in this, right? And I was attending a church called Grace Church, And I was not living the way that I was supposed to be living. I was not doing the things that I was supposed to be doing. I was not treating my wife the way she was supposed to be treated. I was looking at things I shouldn't have been looking at. I was angry all the time. And I thank God for a man, Pastor Ryan Faust, who stepped in front of my path and did exactly what he saw in the Bible. He stood in front of me, and I'm going to tell you guys right now, I'm not saying this to puff my head up. People liked me. People followed me. If I wanted to cause a riot there, I could have caused a riot. I was leading worship. People liked the worship leader, right? He's a fun guy, good guy. People liked playing for me, all those kind of things, but I was out of step with the gospel. And Pastor Ryan Faust stood up, and he called me on it. And you know what I did? I hated him. I hated him. How dare you? You don't know me. Somehow I thought that there was just this idea that he didn't know me, so he didn't understand what was true. But what I appreciate about Pastor Ryan Faust is what did he do? He picked up this Bible and he said, no, this is truth. I don't need to know this like inner working, these deep things that caused you to feel this way, that caused you to go all this kind of stuff. When you find Christ, this stuff starts to become real. Your life starts to transform. So if your life is not transformed, are you really believing this? And again, I said, man, I hate this guy. The nerve. So then he brought a couple elders in and they talked to me and I said, you guys know nothing. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know the things that I've seen. You don't know the stuff that I dealt with. Who are you? But he kept saying it, kept calling me. Never left my side, not once. But kept calling me to this. And then here's where my favorite part of the story comes in. At this point in time, uh, many of you guys know Nathan and I have known each other for years. Nathan was, my, Nathan was my buddy. He was my best friend. And if there was one person that I knew had my back, I know Kelly knew I needed to change, so I didn't want to talk to her about it. Right? So where do we go? I go to my buddy. Right? And this is what the best part of this is. Nathan and I, man, we spent, what, every Monday together, every Wednesday, every Sunday, right? Three days a week, we were hanging out. Man, I, I, and I love this guy, and we were becoming friends, and I was like, man, this is awesome. And then, Nathan, or then Ryan has the audacity to start having meetings and meet with the elders, and I call Nathan up, and I say, man, they said this, this, and this. Can you believe it? And you know what Nathan said? Yep. Yeah, I can. <laughs> and I said, what? And in my mind, two things ran through. Very first thing that ran through. Are you kidding me, dude? 
You're my friend. And then all of a sudden, it dawned on me. Gosh, if my friend is saying this, this must be real. And I sat on it for a couple weeks. And then the crazy part was, is one night, I opened my Bible up, and I opened up to the book of Galatians. And I read. And then I read it again. And then the third time when I tried to read it, I couldn't read anymore because the tears were just falling from my face. And I said, I've been living out of step with the gospel and God gave me people in my life who are willing to call me back to the truths of the gospel and those people loved me more than anybody else. They saw where joy was missing from my life They saw where I was walking away from Christ and they could see the fruits of that, which we learn about later in Galatians 5. Jealousy, envy, anger. It was coming out of my misstep in the gospel. I was believing that, hey, I went to church on Sunday. I made most of them. I played on the worship team. Doing something right, aren't I? People like me, they like to follow me. That's a good thing, isn't it? (laughs) Peter was doing the same thing in this story. People followed him, and then he forced people to follow him. Was I doing the same thing? Was I living the same way? And that broke me. So my thought and my, my final thing that I can leave you with is I pray and I hope that you guys are doing two things that you guys are on your knees daily praying for the Spirit to be working in you to see the things in your life that are out of step with the gospel and to have the Spirit working through you because that's the only way that those things are going to change. And the second thing is that you surround yourself with people who value this more than anything else. Your friendships, their family, any of those things comes second to what this has to say. When we think about the gospel and the fellowship that was at stake here, Paul said it's for everyone, right? It's for everyone. How do we naturally fight this? We tuck inside our homes. We fill ourselves with our family, with the people who, who we like, right? It's really easy for us to stray away from those people who, um, what we like to call in the church, are prophets, who will speak the truth to you, who love you. Here at the Mountain Church, this is what we're going to strive to do. We've always strived to do this. Let's attack sin in our lives. I don't think it's a coincidence that we know scriptures tell us that it's a battle, a fight. And we have to attack those things. Passively sitting by and hoping for them to change is not what we see here. This passage shows us that when we see it, we go after it. But we do it because we want to see people experience the joy that comes and the beauty that comes in a gospel that shows that there is no separation, race, age, socioeconomic status, None of this means anything. 
because the love of God covers all of that. And it is better. Let's pray.